This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Martha McCallum, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, June 10th, 2022. I'm Chris Foster. The man who admits planning to attack Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh at his home in Maryland says he was motivated in part by the fight for abortion rights. When you get something as controversial as what the Supreme Court is going through right now, it it really does not only uh, uptick what you, the security package you want to bring, but also I'm sure it increases the amount of intelligence that they're getting. I'm Lisa Brady. In a crowded field for U.S. Senate, one Republican hopeful says he'll represent the Constitution and Nevadans, not big donors or big names. I answer to the people, and I think when we have more folks like that sitting in the halls of Congress, we'll get more done uh, on an expedited manner. And I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. fight for more gun control and abortion rights, he says, is what sent a 26-year-old man from California to Maryland to attack Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Instead, Nicholas Roski called 911 and turned himself in. He's charged with attempted murder, armed with a gun, knife, and tools that could help him break into a house and kidnap someone. There have been pro-choice protests outside some justices' homes. Top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell. Far-left activists publicize justices' private addresses and encourage angry people to flock to their homes. I understand that there are people who are vulnerable to that kind of rhetoric on both the right and the left. Illinois Senate Democrat Dick Durbin, Justice Kavanaugh's address isn't hard to find on the internet. Well, the biggest challenge is that it is a publicly known address. Um, and just like this young man did with Justice Kavanaugh's home, he was easily able to find out the address. Jeff James, a retired Secret Service agent. You also deal with, uh, although there are certain neighbors that like having a lot of security in their area, you do, do deal with creating creating a security headache for some neighbors. But for the most part, the largest problem you're going to have is that people can just easily get online and find out where that person they're looking for is is located. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you want to have something. Well, how do you balance having um, a, a presence that's, un, that's unobtrusive, but also a presence that may be a deterrent? First of all, you look at the intelligence and you determine your manpower from there. Uh, if you can do it with, with two two-man teams, one in front and one in back, that are very inobtrusive, they can stay in a car like it looks like the marshals were at, at Justice Kavanaugh's residence when this incident happened, then that's fine. But if you start to gather a lot of intelligence that uh, this this person you're protecting is a target, to be to be honest, uh, convenience goes out the window and, and inobtrusiveness goes out the window. Yeah. Uh, now, this guy was apparently... Uh upset about um, the shooting in Texas and uh, ending abortion rights potentially. Stuff like that leaked abortion opinion. Does that put protective agencies on high alert? Is is there like, oh, okay, something can blow up here because of this? Yeah, well, we know there are there are eight in in studies that the Secret Service did. There are eight reasons that people choose to uh, to launch an an attack on on a prominent figure. Um, You know, we're putting aside with this young man the the idea of getting notoriety and, and fame. But, you know, it, they are things like, you know, to avenge a perceived wrong, to uh, to feel like they're fixing a problem and to bring about political change is one as well. So, yeah, that is when when you get something as controversial as what the Supreme Court is going through right now, it 
it really does not only um, uptick what you the security package you want to bring, but also I'm sure it increases the amount of intelligence that they're getting as far as the uh, emails and letters that the justices are receiving. Um, this guy, he apparently, you know, confessed, and he was obviously physically there. But, but people like Supreme Court justices and anybody who's moderately famous gets gets threat, get, get threats all the time. How do you determine? This is separate from this specific case with Kavanaugh. But how do you determine what's a credible threat? Well, in the Secret Service, we took every one of them seriously. And if it turned out that it was some drunk guy in a bar who had just lost his job and he was shooting his mouth off about the economy and said, you know, this is Biden's fault. I'm going to go get him. We took that every bit as seriously as if we found a manifesto online where someone said they were gathering weapons and developing a plan to come to Washington and kill the president. So I think uh, you don't try to differentiate them. You run them all to the ground and, and it's manpower intensive and it and it takes time. But there needs to be a sense of urgency with it. And, and there needs to be a, a true level of seriousness, because in a lot of ways, unless you can take the time to do a true threat assessment, you don't know the difference between someone who's just making a threat and someone who truly poses a threat. Yeah. How do you, you mentioned manpower? There must be Lord knows how many threats there are made uh, against the president, whoever the president is, pretty much every day of the week. Not that they all get to Secret Service ears or U.S. Marshals ears, but how is it possible to run all this stuff down in a timely manner? Well, um, I would say when I, when I left the Secret Service uh, several years ago, we were averaging five death threats a day just toward the president. Uh, then you add in the vice president, their families, um, you know, foreign heads of state who would come to the United States who got protection. And then former presidents, like we just saw the plot recently with, uh, with President Bush. Um, we were fortunate in the Secret Service that we had at the time about 3,000 agents that could, could chase things all over the United States. Uh, from what I understand, the Supreme Court police only has... Um, if I remember the number correctly, about 190 officers. So they would uh, partner with their law enforcement, uh, law enforcement partners pretty much anywhere in the country. If the threat came from, uh, say, Pittsburgh, they could contact the police there in Pittsburgh and, and get intelligence on the person who made the threat and then uh, even uh, get their help about saying, hey, can, is there a chance you could check on this person, see if they're gathering weapons, get some information for us. And then, um, then at that point, if it was deemed credible, they could partner with the federal partners like the FBI to to step in and help uh, and help take the person into custody or or issue warrants and things like that. Um, you mentioned the Supreme Court Police Department, which I didn't know existed um, until recently. Uh, they're in charge of protecting justices and I assume other maybe I don't know other Supreme Court employees in, in or just the justices inside D.C. and outside D.C. It, it falls to the U.S. Marshals. Kavanaugh lives in uh, Justice Kavanaugh lives in Maryland. So that's why the Marshals were there. What does the Supreme Court Police Department do? You mentioned 190. Well, they they're first and foremost, they secure the, the Supreme Court itself. They secure the building. But they are just like any other law enforcement agency you would find. They have a canine division and an intelligence division. Um, they uh, they have an H.R. department. So while their primary responsibility is protecting the building, when the justices are in, uh, they have a plan to if something would happen, they would uh, they would relocate the justices to a safe place. They have all their security and um relocation protocols in place. So while the building is, uh, even when it's empty, is their primary uh, responsibility, when the justices are in their offices or or in holding court, um, the justices and, and the safety of the justices are are primary to them. Um, since, back to the, uh, uh, the Kavanaugh case, since this abortion leak, 
um, there have been protests outside the homes of some of those justices. How do you balance free speech as a, as a, as a security professional? How do you balance free speech and protest rights with protection? I mean, it, it's, is it legal to keep a perimeter around a protectee's home, for example? Well, uh, the first thing I tell people all the time is um, there are limits to the First Amendment. So, you know, we, everybody goes back to the old example of yelling fire in a theater. But um, you also don't have the right to be civilly disobedient and you don't have the right to break the law. So private property is still private property. You know, they, there are certain things you can't say, uh, even something very simple as if you're in a, in a fight with another citizen, you can't say, you know, I'm going to find you and kill you. So what you have to do is follow the law. You know, you grant people their ability to protest if they're doing it lawfully, if they have permits, et cetera. But people need to realize that the First Amendment isn't a catch-all for anything you want to say or anything you want to do because you disagree with, with a certain stance. So my biggest uh, piece of advice to, to law enforcement to keep from getting themselves into trouble and overstepping and possibly breaching someone's rights is know the law where you're working, know what people are allowed and not allowed to do. And if they're, if they're breaking the law and being civilly disobedient or saying things outside of what's allowed by the First Amendment, then you're allowed to take action. Uh, Nicholas Roski, this guy who came from California to Maryland to, you know, apparently at least threaten, if not hunt down Justice Kavanaugh, he called nine one one on himself and backed yeah. out of and backed out over whatever plan he had. So the marshals didn't really have a you know a chance for heroics there. I don't know what would have happened if he had just wandered around the neighborhood uh, so close to the property. But does a guy like that? You, he's in his mid twenties. Uh, from what you know about his actions, does he fit a type that? you would have uh, come across? Well, we know um, we know schizophrenia and, and psychoses manifest, themse- manifest themselves in a large majority of the time late in someone's teens if, if they're going to suffer with that mental illness, and it, and it is sad. Um, so he, he seems age-appropriate. But also that, um, that obsession, you know, try, think about what would you travel all the way across the country for? It has to be something incredibly important to you, right? So... You know, for him to fit the idea of this, this is something he was so obsessed with that he left his life 2,000 miles away and, and made this journey to, to get there. Uh, and we are all fortunate, those of us who are peace-loving people, that um, that he did at some point, for whatever reason, make the decision to call 911 and essentially, um, you know, rat on himself so that the, uh, the marshals were able to take him into custody peacefully because the alternate was... You know, I, I, I've worked with the marshals a bunch of times in my career, and they are a, just a premier federal law enforcement agency. And I can't imagine that there was any way he was going to get into that house uh, so that the, the consequences for him could have been dire. So everyone's fortunate that he chose to make that call. Yeah. And the, the marshals didn't have to make a call to, to kill. I mean, he, he, apparently, he apparently told law enforcement that his plan was to kill himself. Uh, but I guess something, you know, something snapped him out of it. And luckily, those those marshals then didn't have to carry that with them. Correct. Um, 22 years in the Secret Service for you, five years in presidential protection. Um, some people just think of the Secret Service as the people who protect the president, but it's a much larger mission than that. Right. Can you talk about it a little? Yeah. So um, the Secret Service was originally founded on April 14th, 1865, as part of the Treasury Department. And the only uh, responsibility the Secret Service had at the time was the suppression of counterfeiting. When we came out of the uh, Civil War, about a third of all the currency in circulation at the time was fake. President Lincoln decided, you know, he, he needed to do something to stem the tide because it was it was having a tremendously negative effect on the economy. 
Um, so he created on April 14, 1865, this small agency, uh, just a handful of operatives. And the reason uh, he called it the Secret Service was because in his mind's eye, he envisioned uh, these these operatives going undercover into these counterfeiting rings and, and breaking them up and putting the counterfeiters in jail. And, and they were incredibly successful at it. By the end of the 1860s, they had uh, literally put thousands of counterfeiters in jail and, and uh, really restored the public's trust in the currency that they carried. But a couple little twists of historic irony, one major twist of historic irony happened. Um, April 14th, 1865, that morning, the president creates the Secret Service with no intention of there ever being presidential protection. And that night he went to Ford's Theater and he was assassinated. Uh, then we jump ahead to 1881, uh, Charles Bateau kills President Garfield. And then in 1901, Leon Cholgos killed President McKinley. And that's when Congress said, look, we need to we need to find somebody to protect the presidents. Uh, so at that point, they handed their responsibility uh, to the Secret Service. And that's a dual role that the Secret Service still has now. They still uh, secure all Treasury obligations, but uh, but everyone knows them for the protection. They, we uh, we protected the president, vice president and their families, uh, former presidents, uh, major presidential candidates and uh, any foreign head of state that comes to the United States. So whenever you see the Pope come or or the Queen, you know, any foreign king president, prime minister, folks like that who come to the United States, big and small, whether you've heard of them or not, they get Secret Service protection when they're here. Jeff James, retired Secret Service agent. Uh, good to talk to you, Jeff. Thanks. Hey, pleasure's mine. Thank you. Do you use oxygen therapy to breathe? If you've been prescribed oxygen, you know the problems that come with it when you're tied to an oxygen tank or concentrator. Going out of the house is a burden and nobody likes to be stuck inside alone. Now you can live life on the go with a lightweight Inogen portable oxygen concentrator. Inogen is oxygen therapy that moves with you. Travel around the corner or on board an aircraft with an Inogen portable oxygen concentrator that provides the medical grade oxygen your doctor prescribes in a device that weighs less than five pounds. Inogen's longest lasting device delivers 12 hours of oxygen on a single battery charge. Call now to speak with an Inogen oxygen specialist and learn how you can try an Inogen risk-free for 30 days. Give us a call right now, 1-800-245-9878. Don't manage a heavy tank when you leave the house. With Inogen, you can get the oxygen you need with a system that's so small and light, it goes almost anywhere. Learn how you can can experience an Inogen system for yourself risk-free. Call now, 1-800-245-9878. Inogen devices are by prescription only. Battery run times vary by device and setting usage. Terms and conditions apply. For safety information, visit Inogen.com. This is Jason Chaffetz with your Fox News commentary coming up. Time's almost up for voters in Nevada, home to one of the races that could decide the balance of power in the U.S. Senate this November. Eight Republicans are on the ballot for Tuesday's Senate primary, hoping to take on incumbent Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto. We have a chance to flip Nevada red again. Former State Attorney General Adam Laxalt is considered the frontrunner, leading by double digits in recent polls, though some show that lead shrinking. We've all learned that when the going gets tough, 
Some Republicans just run for the hills. In a campaign ad for Laxalt, former President Trump says there's no one more trustworthy in Nevada. Adam Laxalt always puts America first and has my complete and total endorsement. He was also part of a tele-rally for Laxalt this week, calling him a true warrior for conservative principles and the MAGA agenda. But Laxalt lost the governor's race in 2018, despite a family history of politics in the state. So his top primary challenger calls him a failed politician. This primary, Nevada Republicans will choose if America is ruled by the elites or the people. Sam Brown likes to emphasize a grassroots campaign and a much different background. He's a retired Army captain who suffered serious burns from an IED explosion in Afghanistan. He was a volunteer for the Trump campaign in 2020 and believes he's standing on the verge of victory, even if others don't. You know, this this race has always, uh, you know, felt like an underdog race, even before I had any opponent. I was uh, the first one in it. Brown is also a husband and father who grew up in Arkansas and says he chose to start a business and raise his family in Nevada. You know, I was I was coming at this as you know someone who's just a member of the community. Um, you know, I'm a West Point grad, a combat vet, wounded. You know, a family man, kids in the local schools, a, a businessman, and so. You know, people in my community knew me, but it's not like, uh, you know, a whole state knew me or I had high name ID. So from the very beginning, this was underdog race. Um, but that's, you know, led led me and the team that I've recruited and brought with me to, you know, work and earn every bit of support that we've got. And, you know, I think that running uphill actually makes you makes you stronger. You don't take anything for granted, whether it's uh, contributions from donors, um, you know, time commitment from volunteers uh, or or even votes. And so we're, we're hustling. And I think that's um, really proven to be beneficial and why we're, you know, knocking on uh, on the edge of a of a major upset uh, victory, which uh, public polling hasn't really covered because that data is now all about one month old. But our internal polling has shown that in that month we've uh, we've closed this thing down to a real close horse race. Hmm. What are people telling you on the campaign trail about their top concerns? The economy is by far the, the top concern. And, you know, nationally there's there's challenges, but there's also, you know, a, uh, a hangover effect from COVID and the way that uh, Steve Sisolak, our Democratic governor, handled COVID with, you know, very sort of top-down uh, shutdown of our economy. And so that's that's number one issue. And then depending on where you go across the state, um, you know, energy costs and uh, and water, because we've got major drought conditions here. Uh, water is also a major concern in, in, in education for for uh, for many parents. Why do you feel as though on these kinds of issues that you are better suited to hold this seat? What makes you the best candidate to tackle any of that. You're certainly a newcomer to politics, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the reasons that we've got this sort of uh, festering issues that we have is because of the type of people who, you know, find their way into office are oftentimes, you know, almost sort of uh, invited into that uh, community. They, uh, they owe a lot of people a lot of things. And, and so it drags out any sort of potential 
um, solutions into, you know, long years or even decades worth of, you know, wrangling. We need people who are uh, problem solvers, uh, solution oriented, you know, who come from outside of the system and only owe their constituents, uh, you know, the, the hard work that they deserve. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm coming at this as someone who's, uh, you know, supported and funded and, and you know, elected in office uh, by, by Nevadans. Uh, not by some sort of, you know, party machine or, you know, endorsements, uh, relying on endorsements from D.C. Uh, political celebrities or anything like that. So I, I answer to the people, and I think when we have more folks like that sitting in the halls of Congress, we'll get more done uh, on an expedited manner. Former Nevada Attorney General Adam Laxalt though, does have the backing of some Republican heavyweights, including former President Trump. Does that come up as you've been out campaigning? Does that seem to matter to people, either in a positive or negative way? It does. I'd say that, uh, you know, there, there are some people, um, not, not, very, not as many as you would expect, but there are some people who, you know, uh, want to uh, honor President Trump's endorsement. And that's the, the only thing that matters to them. But the, the vast majority of folks will tell me, Sam, um, President Trump made a mistake and he doesn't know Nevada and he doesn't know how Adam Laxalt has failed us in the past. And, you know, they, they look to when he was attorney general, um, how he mismanaged, um, you know, even the election integrity issues when the secretary of state's office reported that illegal immigrants were registering to vote through the DMV. He didn't do anything about it as attorney general. Um, and then, he lost uh, the race in 2018 for the governor. Uh, and, you know, a lot of folks look at him and he had all the all the tailwind in the world. You know, the same sort of endorsements, the same access to money, you know. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, that, that can create a lazy candidate who's more responsive to D.C. and their donors than to the people who are electing them. And, uh, and he burned Nevada voters. And in fact, he blamed... Uh, 100,000 Trump voters in 2018 when he lost the governor's race. He said 100,000 Trump voters didn't come out for me. And people remember that. What about the fact that you're not originally from Nevada? I know it's fodder in some campaign ads, but is that a criticism that's resonating with people? No. Uh, you know, it, there, there may be someone who's, you know, just dead set on voting for Laxalt and they want to bring that up. But over 80 percent of Nevadans aren't from here. Uh, this is an extremely transient state. It's the, it, it leads the nation in terms of, you know, people who've moved here from elsewhere. Um, it's, it's just not a it's, it's not a good critique. And in fact, I think most people look at that as a as a sign of desperation from a campaign that has every advantage in the world and is on the verge of losing. Um, so it actually really displays a lot of weakness in the Laxalt camp. But uh, yeah, it's uh, look, we're, we're all Americans. And I think that's one of the things we got to get back to is we're all Americans. And, you know, when I put on the uniform and, and serve this country, I wasn't just serving Arkansans where I was born. Uh, I wasn't just serving Texas where I was deployed from. I was serving uh, Nevadans and all Americans as well. You've actually been outspending Laxalt. Um, there are outside groups, PACs, that'll try to close that gap, and it can turn very negative. Are you concerned going forward about being able to get your message out to voters? 
No, no, we've we've got uh, we've got the sort of grassroots funding that we need to be able to get our message out on uh, TV and radio ads and online um, that uh, that we feel like is is effective. In fact, if you would have told me a year ago that we'd be where we're at financially, I'd say that, you know, I, I would have thought that was just amazing. And, and it is amazing. And it's an amazing testament to the over 40,000 um, people who have donated to this campaign. I mean, the average donation to our campaign is $63. And so this is what um, a movement of the people looks like. This is how you earn trust. Um, and this is how you stay responsive to the people who are electing you. If you did win the primary, what would be your strategy to take on Democratic Senator Catherine Cortez Masto in the fall? She won by just over two points in 2016, which was the same margin from President Biden in Nevada. Um, but, you know, how flippable is this Senate seat, in your opinion? And and how would you win it in the fall? Yeah, you know, um, Cortez Masto is going to have to. Uh, answer for how she stewarded her her tenure as a senator. And um, unfortunately for Nevadans and unfortunately for Cortez Masto, in the end, um, she did not uh, manage her time well. She was not a, a uh, champion for Nevada. And, you know, she, she has voted in lockstep with, uh, you know, Biden and his, you know, year and a half in office. And and those policies have hurt Nevadans and they've hurt Americans. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll stay very focused on on policies and, and, and holding her accountable for her action uh, where appropriate and her inaction where appropriate. Sam Brown, retired U.S. Army captain, Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Nevada. Lots of luck with the campaign. Thank you so much. of the one-size-fits-all method when it comes to healthcare, especially when it comes to your ED treatment? Well, good news. Now you've got options with Hims. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatments such as chewable mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for less. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you for free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time to join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com rundown. That's H-I-M-S dot rundown for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com rundown. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety or effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, some good news with Tanya J. Powers. 
A military veteran in Florida is making headlines for his gift to another veteran who suffered a major setback after a crime. George Geraldo is an Army veteran and welder whose tools were stolen when his truck was recently broken into. Nearly $10,000 worth of equipment, including torches and other items, was taken. WSVN News aired the story about the theft, and Bill Coleman was watching. Coleman is also a veteran and a retired merchant marine. He says he felt compelled to do something. So he donated the tools Geraldo needed in order to get back to work. Geraldo told WSVN he's got a new lifelong friend and that veterans stick together, saying of Coleman, quote, we're brothers forever, man. God bless you. Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Chaffetz. What's on your mind? Surprise, the Biden Justice Department, led by Attorney General Merrick Garland, will not be prosecuting lawbreakers within its ranks. The Inspector General for the Department of Justice released its semi-annual report to Congress of cases for which the IG recommends prosecutions. But in case after case, the Department of Justice is declining to prosecute its own. The one notable exception is Bureau of Prisons personnel who still have reason to fear repercussions if they break the law. But if you're in the FBI or DEA, you can be virtually assured you will not be prosecuted based on the long list of cases DOJ has declined to prosecute. Apparently, if you work for the right agency, anything goes. Just how serious are the allegations of lawbreaking? Here are a few examples from Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report sexual solicitation quote while working for the fbi overseas multiple then fbi officials solicited engaged in and or procured commercial sex it was also alleged that one of the fbi officials provided another official a package containing approximately 100 white pills to deliver to a foreign law enforcement officer the investigation was presented for prosecution on august 17th 2018 and declined on January 17th, 2020. Fraud, quote, after receiving information from the FBI alleging that then supervisory special agent may have committed time and attendance fraud during a six-month period, the investigation was presented for prosecution on June 27th, 2018, and declined on March 15th, 2021. Conflicts of interest, quote, a then senior official with the DEA gave preferential treatment to a particular pharmaceutical company by prioritizing the company's requests for drug quota increases over other pending requests. The allegation further stated that the pharmaceutical company's request to the DEA had been made by a former DEA official then employed by the pharmaceutical company. The investigation was presented for prosecution on June 16, 2015 and declined on August 26, 2021. Given the lack of accountability within federal law enforcement, it's no wonder federal agents are willing to misuse their authority. This may also help explain why DOJ has a deepening problem with public perception and low morale. There are many committed professionals at the 110,000 person agency, but when those who cut corners are allowed to thrive and suffer no consequences, it sends a message the corruption grows. DOJ officials should be held to a higher standard. We might even settle for just holding them to the same standard as the rest of us. 
But this unwillingness to hold their own accountable undermines faith in federal law enforcement and signals a tolerance for misbehavior. Six months from now, we will read about a similar report. Something needs to change. But clearly, President Biden and his Democrat majorities have little interest in reigning in federal law enforcement. I'm Jason Chaffetz, Fox News contributor and host of the Jason in the House podcast on the Fox News Radio Network. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at FoxAcrossAmerica.com.